Where we're at, it's 9.30. <laughs> so it's time to go home, almost bedtime. <laughs> We've really enjoyed this. I tell you, that choir gets better and better and better, doesn't it? It's just terrific. She's done a great job with it. And that quartet that gets up here, they're better than they were last time we were here, too. You know, practice makes perfect. And I think some people's been practicing around here. I love your singing, Brother Sheets. It's beautiful. I just love it. Everything. The little girl, I'm not going to sing because she sang. There's no way I'm going to follow that. No way. But I just want to praise the Lord, and I want to say God is good, and God is great. And there's just no way of doing anything above and beyond what God can do. You try to outdo God. And when you try to outdo God, what you really do is just show yourself that you can't. I don't care if you try to outlove Him, He's going to love you more. If you try to outgive Him, He's going to really show you what it is. We had a brother in a church one time, and he didn't believe in paying tithes. Now, I'm not preaching about tithes. But he didn't believe in doing it. And he came to pastor and he said, Pastor, said, do you really believe that tie thing's right? And my husband looked at him and he says, Well, Jack, he said, the only thing I can say is try it. Jack says, Well, I've been a thinking about it. Of course, Jack's, he's in Hardin County, Illinois, and that's kind of way back. <laughs> and so he tried it. Well, he was just making a little under $20,000 a year. And lo and behold, he started paying tithes, and the first year he made better than $25,000. And he came back and he said, Preacher, said, do you think that was just luck? you think my work's just picked up that much? He says, Jack, I don't know. He said, well, I'm going to do more. First thing you know, Jack was giving better than 20% of his income he was making better than $60,000 a year. Now, for that little area down there, that is good money. But Jack made a fatal mistake that a lot of people give when God starts blessing. He got proud. He got haughty. Now he knew the secret to God, and God couldn't refuse him anything. Honey, don't you ever think God can't refuse you. If he sees it's doing you harm to bless you, he can just reverse that right back and make you count your blessings. I like that song, count your many blessings, count them, name them one by one. Mm -hmm. Because when you cease counting and you start thinking you've got a lock on God, you better watch out. Because nobody's got God in the hangman's noose telling him what to do. So I love the Lord tonight. I don't care if you pay tithes or you don't pay tithes, but I just happen to think of that tonight. In John 12, 20 and 21, it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethesda of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. I'm not going to preach on this. I'm just reading it. It says, Without Jesus Christ, your gain is lost. Your sorrow, your joy is sorrow. Your day is night. 
Your future is spent, your wealth is poverty, your fortune is misfortune, and your life is death. Thousands have tried it. They have tried wealth and fame and fortune and honor and glamour and influence and power, but it's all failed to give them what their hearts craved. And as a last resort, they tried suicide, and that also failed. The Greeks who came to Philip were seeking the one who was the only solution to their problems, the only answer to their questions, and the only satisfier of their needs. They were coming to the one who is the beginning of life, the source of life, the author of life, the giver of life, the way of life, the tree of life, the word of life, the breath of life, the bread of life, the water of life, the light of life, the resurrection and the life, and the one who came that we might have life, and that he believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. They didn't know what they were asking for when they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. Jesus is the seed that bruised the serpent's heel. He is the angel of the covenant. He is the savior of the lost. He is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost. He is the fairest of 10,000. And, Sir, we still want to see Jesus, okay? He's the rock of our salvation. He's the bright and morning star. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's the one that breaks every chain. But we still want to see Jesus. He is healing to the sick. He is sight to the blind. He is hearing to the deaf. He is cleansing to the leper. He is strength to the weak. He is deliverance to the oppressed. He is the rest to the weary. He is the freedom and bondage. He is the comforter to those who mourn. He is the joy to those who sorrow. He is the hope to the hopeless. And he's the help to the helpless. And he's a brother to the friendless, and he is a light to those in darkness, and he is the resurrection and the dead. But, sir, we would see Jesus. He's the counselor who knows all about your trials. He's the captain who's never lost a battle, and he's the advocate who's never lost a case, and he is the physician who has never lost a patient. He's the one whom Satan could not beguile, and he's the one whom demons could not resist, and he's the one whom Pilate could not condemn, and he's the one whom death could not destroy, and he's the one whom the grave could not contain. He's the one whom gravitation could not restrain. But, sir, we still would see Jesus. Well, he's the one whom angels worship. He's the one whom the saints adore. He's the one who devils fear. He is the prince of peace. He is the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords. He's the one who was in the beginning with God, and he was God. And all things were made by him, and without him was nothing made. And he's the one who stretched out the heavens like the scroll and tossed the racing sun and the luminous planets into space. And his fingers wove colors like the rainbow scarf and draped it upon the shoulders of the frowning storm. 
He smiled and the furnace of the sun was kindled. He blinked his eyes and the lightnings flashed and he clapped his hands and the thunder roared. His mouth sped out the seven seas and his footsteps hollowed out the valley and he breathed and man became a living soul. And sir, we would see Jesus. He stretched out his hands and the wind died down. And he said, Peace be still, and the raging sea lay down and spoke sleep. And he took five loaves and he fed five thousand. He spoke to Lazarus and the dead came forth. And he made a poultice out of spittle and mud. That, and he that was born blind began to see. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And sir, you've just met my Jesus. Amen. I want to see Jesus, don't you? Amen. Well, I'm limited now. The only way I can see him is through you. All right, so I'm going to look and see if I can find Jesus. Praise the Lord. We're going to be reading, and it's good to be here again tonight. We'll be reading from the fourth chapter of Hebrews. Fourth chapter of Hebrews. Now you can say amen once in a while if you want to. It won't scare me. Or you can wave your hand if you want to. Or if you want to shout, I'll wait till you get done. Now if you want to dance, I'll wait till you get through. Or if you just want to look at me, I'll go ahead and preach. Or if you want to stick your tongue out at me, you do that, at least I know you're alive, all right? So whatever you want to do, you you just do that, all right? If I get excited, forget about it. (laughs) I'm not from Milwaukee. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's read. Would you mind standing for the reading of God's Word? I would appreciate that. I've enjoyed the singing, all of it, people giving the best they have to the Lord in song and in and in testimony and by the way i would like to hear some of you testify sometime praise the lord sometime all right uh not that it would help you any but it might help me some okay that would be good we have some people in our church that i in the little church at bird's eye that i've been there 14 months and i've never heard them say anything for the lord <laughs> i'm sure they're good people and maybe they say something other places But I thought sometimes it's going to be good if I just call them out and tell them to testify for me. I'd like to hear them. Fourth chapter Hebrews, 14th verse. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. We need mercy, don't we? And find grace to help in the time of need. Heavenly Father, again, we recognize the responsibility that 
is upon our shoulders tonight to speak your word and your word alone. We realize there's many voices in the world and there's many thoughts. Our heart's desire, Master, is to push nothing concerning tradition of men, our own ideas, opinions, idiocracies, or idiosyncrasies, but only to please you. We want to be a vessel, Lord, just in your hands, that you might use us, our lips, our voice, our tongue, only to speak of good things concerning you. Anoint us, Lord, because if you don't, nothing can happen. Not only anoint us, but anoint the ears, Father, the congregation to hear, their hearts, Father, to reach out, their soul to rejoice. And we'll be thankful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated, and thank you so much for standing. It's been a wonderful day. It started out a good day. By the way, we were promised spring weather all the time we was here for a week now. Somebody's going to have to do something. All right? Anybody in charge of the weather around here? Because we, we this out here, that doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good. So who is ever in charge of the weather around here? Brother Dale, you in charge of the weather here? Whoever in charge of the weather needs to get something done. All right, the title, if I had a title for the message, was Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And it's hard sometimes to really trust God, isn't it? I realize that when everything is going fine, when there's no problems, and when he asks us to do something that is easy for us to do and doesn't require too much, it's easy to say, yes, Lord, I will do it. But it becomes difficult when he asks us to do some strange thing that's beyond our capabilities to understand. I'm reminded of the little joke, I'm sure you've heard it, of a man that fell off the cliff. As he was going down, about halfway down, he grabbed a hold of one of these little trees or twigs that's uh, handing out there, and he's hanging on. There isn't any help in sight, so he looks up into the heavens and says, God, anybody up there? And the Lord says, here I am. He says, God, help me. And the voice says, turn loose of the tree. And he just stands there, just hangs there a little while and looks up and says, anybody up there? The Lord says, I'm here. He said, help me. He says, turn loose of the tree. And there was a silence for quite some time and then a real trembling voice looks up and says, anybody else up there? And that's the way we are a lot of times when God asks us to do something and it seems so foolish, we're prone to look around for somebody else or some other way out of it. We've just read you concerning the fact in the Bible of who Jesus is and that he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities and that he was tempted in all points, even as we are and yet without sin. And then the invitation for us to come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy, uh, to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy. And one of the most baffling and one of the most confusing things within the rank and file of Christianity is the devastating fact of human suffering. We look around and we see it, little babies dying for no good reason at all. They've done no harm. 
We see individuals that's mutilated and maimed and uh, we see all of the human suffering in this world and we proclaim a God that has the abilities and a God that cares and a God that is faithful and it's baffling and it's confusing when we look around and see the suffering and there's been times in our lives when all of us have had sorrows upon us like sea billows that roll over us. There's been times when pain and perplexity uh, in our life, when the lamps of our faith have almost flickered out or gone out and flickered low. There's been times when the shadows of doubt have whelmed up within us and the very one we trusted so uh, overwhelmingly we don't have the trust that we should have in him. There's been times when we felt as if God has simply let us down. And there's been times when we've turned our face to the wall and simply asked the question that Job asked so often in his writings, Why, God, where are you? God, where are you? I've looked over the source or times of my ministry. I saw one time a devoted mother, an inspiration to others, a loyal member to the church that I was pastoring at the time, 47 years old, if anybody was an inspiration, if anybody lived a Christian life, if anybody should come to sainthood, it should have been her. She was raising five girls and one boy and a husband that was not saved, could hardly believe in God. And yet at the same time, she still held on to the power of God. And I watched this devoted mother contact cancer, all the prayers of God's people, as great as they were, seemed not to uh, avail anything. After so long a time, this 47-year-old mother called me in, and, I, and she said, Brother Hoskow, I'm not going to make it. And of course, she was my source of strength in rearing up a young church, trying to deal with the problems. She was devoted to God. She was devoted to me. And I simply couldn't give it up. I said, no. She said, Karina, you're going to make it. And she said, no, I, I'm not going to make it. And she gave me a charge. She said these words, I want you to keep my son preaching. I want you to see that my children and my husband get into church. And if you don't think that isn't the charge, you just sit there and listen. And she says, grab me by the hand. And she said, promise me. Promise me that you'll do this. And she had always said, whatever it takes for me to get my family in church, I'm willing to do it. Whatever it takes. I'm sure she wasn't aware maybe it would take her death. But eventually, her five children came, five girls came into the house of God. They're still there. They're spirit-filled Christians. And her son happens to be the pastor of the church that I pastored for 19 years. I said all that to say this, as she was lying there, a corpse, and the husband and the girls and the son passed by. I looked at her and asked the question I've never been able to answer. They looked me in the face and said, why? Brother Hoskow, why? And you can go on and on. A family that's been struck down, not just once, but a lot of times. Sickness, unemployment, one setback right after another until sometimes we're tempted to say with Job, let the day perish when I was born. I remember very vividly a father in Norman, Oklahoma 
called upon to preach the funeral of his only son, his only heir, the only thing. He put everything, his whole life, in this young man, this young boy. This young boy was killed. He was driving in a, riding in a car with his mother and uh, riding in a car with his mother-in-law. And the young boy was killed. The wife was maimed terribly and the mother-in-law was killed. And there lay uh, grandma and there lay son in the same casket. They fixed it up that way. And this young man who had believed God, who had trusted God, who had simply stood up and told how faithful God was and how good God had been to his life and testified about God giving him this son. And now all at once the heir, the son that he said had God had given him, was lying with his grandmother in a casket. I'll never forget the anguish in his face when he looked me in the eye and said, Why? Pointed his finger and said, Why, Brother Hoskar, why is this thing happening to me? And then my sister, not very long ago, a uh, 28-year-old son, dying in the hospital with cancer. Standing on the outside, he finally died with cancer, but standing on the outside before his death, my sister, searching my face for some glimmer of hope or understanding, looked up in my face of Big Brother and said, Why, Roy? Why is this thing happening in my life? It would be nice if I had all the answers. It would be fine if I could say it's happening this because of this, that, or something else. But there's a, there's a question there that I'm sure there'll be no answers to and maybe until we see the face of Jesus. Not too long ago, a 32-year-old minister, vibrant young man, intelligent young man, the promise of a great future ahead of him as a minister, Sunday school superintendent in the church where I pastored, took an attack of asthma, went into the hospital one, one night and was dead the next morning. As far as everybody was concerned, this man was getting ready to go on the evangelistic field. It seems that if God had spoken to him and told him what he could do on, on the evangelistic field, and here he was, lying cold and still in the grave without an answer, as to why he was there. You could stood and looked at a lot of these lives, and in our own ways we could have said, God, it looks to me like things would have been better had you left him alive. Now Jesus one time said, I think that was in Matthew about the fifth chapter, that God makes his son to rise on evil and on the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust. And I've used these words. But friend... Uh, these words fall flat when it starts to rain on us and when it starts to rain on our child and when it starts to dampen our life and when it starts raining on our wife or starts raining on our friends. These are not words that has any value whatsoever to us. I hear somebody say, well, it rains on the just and the unjust, the sun rises and shines all the same. We as God's people are looking for something better than that. And it's in those hours when you go through the dark night of the soul, times in which you can't hear the voice of anybody else, times in which a hand clasp doesn't do you any good whatsoever, it's in those hours I discovered something about the Bible. Things are written in there has a meaning for us today regardless of how long it's been since they've been written. 
And I was looking through, and in, in everybody has a dark night of the soul. I have that. Times when the lights have gone out. There doesn't seem to be uh, no light at the end of the tunnel. You're just there. You don't know where to go. You've heard about God. You know He's real. You have Him inside of you. And yet everything is going wrong. And during that time, I went across old familiar scripture that I thought perhaps was just something that was inserted in there, had a meaning maybe for Jesus. But I found the words in Matthew 27, 46, that Jesus uttered on the cross, his cry on the cross. This cry was just before the ninth hour. Darkness covered the earth in the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And just before the ninth hour, Jesus uttered some words that was meaningless to me until I needed to know where God was. And those words were simply, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In other words, flesh, which was the Son, cried out these words as it reached out for the hand that had always been there. And it always succored him and took care of him and was always there when he called upon him. But yet in this dark night of his soul, this Jesus of Nazareth, this Son, this flesh that veiled a mighty God, just before uh, the, the ninth hour, emitted a cry that should mean something to you and I tonight. That should let us know that wherever we are forced to walk, He has already been there. Hallelujah. He's already walked there before us. And not only has He walked there before us, He's there to walk through it with us. He'll never let us do anything by ourselves. I, was, I get excited too, young lady, and I appreciate that testimony. I get excited about God. And when I get excited, I get loud and I get emotional. And if you don't like that, you'll just have to leave. I talked to Sister Sass about it. But I, I get emotional about these things because there's a reality in there. I find that the Bible talks to me. Not only when I'm standing on the heights of the hills and on the mountains and the sunlight is there, but God talks to me through His Word when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's there with me. And He's been there before me. And He's cleared the path for me. And not only that, but He comes to walk through it with me. I was excited when I read that story, The Prodigal Son, old Sunday school story, you know. And when we read it, we just think we know everything about it. You know, I, I think it's dangerous sometimes to have old familiar scriptures, don't you? Because they, they become so familiar that we don't see anything in them. We just uh, kind of like, for God so loved the world. Old familiar Sunday school scripture, but man, it's dynamite. And I was reading the parable of the prodigal son. I noticed when that son had spent everything he had, he was in the pig pen, and he rose up and he said, I'm going home. Now that's good, that's easy. I'm going to go home because uh, even the servants in my father's house has got it better than I have. And so he started out, and the closer he got to the house, the harder it was for him to take those steps. You see, when you've been wrong... <laughs> Uh, you're just a little bit hesitant. I mean, it sounds good while you're far away. But when you've been wrong and you get close to the source where you're going to throw yourself on the mercy of this man, it gets a little bit harder. And he got 
pretty close to the house. And I like that scripture. I think it was meant for me. When it says, And the father was looking down the road. I believe he had went every day and looked down that road for the return of his son. I don't believe he ever gave up on his son, do you? I think he was there every day looking for the return of his son. And finally one day he was looking down the road. And the Bible says he saw his son. And then he said something else that thrilled me. He said, and as he was a long way off, recognized him, and he said, then the father went out to meet him. And the son didn't have to walk those last few miles by himself. The father went out, met him, and returned with him. And that's just like Jesus. He's been there before us. He has suffered the agony. And it's sadistic, as it might seem on my part, I for one am glad that he uttered those words. I'm glad that they're recorded in the Bible. I'm glad that I realized that he wasn't crying those words for him alone, that he was crying those words for me. So I could identify with those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It makes me feel less of a failure, all right? It makes me uh, feel a little bit less than having failed. When I come to these times and dark nights of the soul, when I look around and I wonder where God is, and I cry out for Him and He's not there hardly, I reach for a hand and it's always been familiar and it's not there anymore. And then I am prone to say, God, where are you? And I feel less guilty to know that this flesh cried that one time itself and I take consolation in that and I'm glad He uttered those words. It gives me some confidence. So often, when we read of Jesus' life, He seemed in His moral and spiritual grandeur so miles above us. You know, we could never be like Him because He was God veiled in the flesh. We could never be like Him. He couldn't ever feel like us. But friend, let me, I know you know this, but He suffered in like manner even as we, the Bible says. And yet He was without sin. He had every trial known to humanity somewhere, somehow, did not sin. And yet he cried those words just before daylight reached him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it brought him, in a sense, down to the level and made me to understand that he knows how I feel in moments like that. And I'm not a hypocrite when I feel like that. That I'm not a sad sack when I feel that way. But it's just a natural thing for me to feel that way. And then I follow after him. He just seemed like some celestial superman. He just seemed to walk the earth untouched by the discouragements that was there, the bitterness, the suffering that has scarred our life. It seemed like Jesus just walked among all these people untouched by it. Oh, I know the subject scripture I just read to you. In every respect, tempted as we. But yet, somehow, until we see Him on the cross, feeling the loneliness that we have felt so often. How many have felt loneliness in your life so often? And feeling that loneliness uh, that we've felt so often, putting words of desperation, uh, uh, talking to them like we have known so much. And until our Lord confronts us at this level, He seems so unreal to us. And we feel so separated from Him. Let's take a brief time tonight just to look at Him.
For a few brief moments, it looked like the end of Jesus. That he had been mistaken. That the final result of his love and of his trust in God, his passion for goodness had been wasted. I don't think it was as much of the physical agony that prompted his words as it was the feeling that what he had done and what he had lived for had been without purpose. You take an individual and take purpose out of his life and you robbed him of his life. And that's the way the devil works on us sometimes. It's not the physical agony. It's not the fact that we're suffering. It's not the fact that we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the fact that he comes and makes us feel like that our life has been worthless. That we have lifted him up for no good reason. And that he has just simply turned us away. And simply would not listen to our cry. And this is perhaps what flesh felt. Now, I believe God was God, but I believe God was dwelling in the flesh, and the only part of that, only part of that that was son was the flesh. And it was crying out. It was wanting some help. It had been used to the indwelling power of God and the resurrecting power of God, the miracle-working power of God. Laid hands on the sick, they recovered. Blind man saw, deaf men heard. Thank God, lame man walked. And all of these things. He seemed more than a match for anything. All he had to do was call upon that which indwelt him. And now here he is on the cross calling that same one and yet so desolate, so far away until he uttered those words, memorable words, written in the Scripture, thank God, preserved just for me, if not for you, had made me to realize that he knew how I felt. He saw me in my little closet. He saw you in your loneliness. He washed you in your despair. He washed as it seemed like the devil robbed you of any value of your life whatsoever. And he saw that. And he cried those words to let us know that it's not wrong, hallelujah, to cry those words. There's nothing wrong with that. We're asking where he's at. And God is waiting, willing to point to us where he's at and where we can touch him. So it wasn't that physical thing that bothered him so much. It's just that his life seems like had been wasted. He had presented a God that would listen to prayers. And he was praying a prayer that was unanswered. He was presenting a God that understood problems. And man, did he have a problem. I mean, he had a problem. He was hanging on the cross. He was accused of many things that he was not guilty of. And he presented a God that had, had always been the answer to every problem. And he presented a God that gave good gifts to his children. And now, here he was, hanging on the cross. Publicly humiliated. Back lacerated with cat of nine tails. I'll never forget. I don't know if you believe in visions, but I'll never forget in my sickness, and I don't know if I have related this or not. In my sickness where I spent eight years suffering with a heart attack and, and uh, the doctors told me I wouldn't live to see 50 because God came in and gave me a new heart. But I remember in our worship, wor worship service in Rosie Claire. I was hurting, I'd ministered. I was hurting, I sat down on the left-hand side of the altar. 
And I looked up and I saw someone come in kindly from the back. I didn't recognize him. I didn't know who it was. And I thought, well, it's some husband coming after his wife. So I sat there and finally I looked up again and he was coming down the aisle. I still didn't know who he was. And he got real close to me. Now some of the church people said, we saw you reacting strange. We didn't know what it was. But he got real close to me. I saw a man as... He simply, his looks, he was so marred, he didn't look human. Sadistic hands of man had mutilated him. They'd beaten this individual with their fist. They'd spit on him, there was spittle all over him. And I looked at him and I knew this was Jesus. There was something about it that let me know this was Jesus. And in spite of how he looked... In spite of the awfulness of his appearance, there's something inside of me that loved him. I wanted to reach out for him. And I did reach out for him and I thought, you're coming to heal me. If I can touch you, you'll heal me. I know you will. That's why you appeared. And I stretched forth my hand and the church people will vouch for this. And as I stretched forth my hand to touch him, he turned and walked out away from me. I thought then that was the dark night of the soul. I thought of what value has it been for me to proclaim the love of God, the power of God, unto salvation and all of this. And for him to show me a vision of himself and then turn around so I can't even touch him and walk out of the way. What type of a worm am I? And about that time a voice spoke as he passed me and said, turn around and look at him now. I turned around and I saw something in all my ministry I never recognized could be. I turned around and I saw a back that was lacerated to ribbons. There wasn't one solid piece of flesh left on that back anywhere. And as it walked away from me, a voice said, And by his stripes ye are healed. Thank God. And I realized two weeks later, God had did a miracle in my life. A friend, let me tell you something. He suffered for us. He bled and died for us. He mounted the cross of sin and shame and took our place there. And he cried out and felt the urgency and the loneliness of the hour and cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he endured this so he could identify with us in these moments just like this. Hallelujah. And let us know he knows exactly how we feel. I'm glad that scripture's in there. Hallelujah. Well, glory. Let me just praise the Lord a few minutes. Hallelujah. There, there, there's something about it. And when I think about Jesus, and when I think of how He feels, you know, sometimes we don't think He's got any feeling, but God is a God of feeling. He feels. And He hurt. I said He hurt when they scorned Him. He hurt when He came into His own and His own received Him not. He hurt when they smote him. He hurt when they spit upon him. He hurt when they crowned him with thorns and blood spurted from the vascular area of his scalp. He hurt, friend, when they run the can of nine tails across him and beat him to within an inch of his life. He hurt, friend, when they drove those nails in his hand and in his feet. He hurt, but he was there because you and I needed somebody there. He hurt because he looked down one day and saw this old boy wallowing in sin and shame in the muck.
and knew he couldn't lift himself out of it and knew he needed a Savior and he came and became that Savior for me and got me by the hand and washed me with his blood and filled me with his spirit and set me on the road to eternal life. That's my Savior. That's my God. And he's identified with me in every section of my life. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. He's Jesus. He's Jesus. He's everything that my wife read to you and much, much more. But more than anything else, He's personal. He's mine and He's personal. He identifies with the church. He identifies with the masses. And that's fine. But more than anything else that's profitable to me, He identifies with me. He knows where I'm at all the time. He never loses track of me. And when I get in these areas, He said, don't worry about that, son. I've been there too. And I've been the victor over all of it. I've walked it for you. Don't worry about that. And He simply cried out in that darkened hour. Now Jesus has identified Himself with us a lot of places. But I think He identified Himself more closely to us than any other time when He cried those words, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Of course, if the Scripture means anything at all, He was not forsaken. He only felt forsaken in that dark hour. Psalms 37, 38 says, For the Lord loveth judgment, forsaketh not His saints, they are preserved forever. But we can't help it. Sometimes if we feel forsaken. Although there's no completely satisfying answer to human suffering, I don't have the answer. I don't know why these things are happening as they are, and they always have to remain partly unanswered. But one thing is for sure in all of this, we may feel forsaken, but we are never alone. Amen. We are never alone. God simply will not allow us to be by ourselves. He said, yea, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He meant that. He knew we needed Him. He knew there'd be times we could shout His glory and forget He was there. But He also knew times we'd walk down that mountainside in the valley and He knew He had to be there or we couldn't make it through. Amen. He simply will not allow us to be by ourselves. And we need to recognize that. It doesn't matter whether you feel like He's there or not. Alright? You don't have to feel like He's there. You just have to know He is. The Bible didn't tell us we could feel Him all the time. I, I, I feel good when I feel goosebumps running up and down my back. <laughs> then I know He's there. I feel good when I can shout and enjoy the presence of the Lord. I know He's there. I've learned a long time ago when I walk through the valley and there's no good thing around, I can't feel Him. I don't know for sure in a sense whether He's there or not as far as flesh is concerned. But I've learned to depend on His Word. And if His Word means anything, it's truth. And He said He would never leave me. And He would never forsake me. And He'd go with me all the way. Even to the end of this world. And the world's still there. And I still have His promise. Jesus said, I'll not leave you comfortless. And He said, I will come to you. Thank God. And He, he gave the power of the Holy Ghost in my life. <laughs> Thank God. That's part of Him. That's an earnest of my inheritance. That, that's what I have. So in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our loneliness, I don't know why I'm doing this. I, I don't know you people. But in the midst of our doubting moments, 
There is a presence. <laughs> Hallelujah. I said there is a presence. Hallelujah. There is a presence. There is a comforter. Hallelujah. There is a fortifier. One that comes and fortifies us. One that comes and puts his arms around us. And one that speaks comfort. There is a presence. Supernatural presence. That overwhelms us. And lets us know that whatever we're forced into, he's going to see us. And he's going to strengthen us. There is one that does uphold. <laughs> Hallelujah. He catches you when you're going down. And He upholds you. One that does bring us through somehow. I've never understood Him. But hour after hour, day to day and year to year, He sees us through. He's more than an answer to everyday problems. He's more than a God of the sunshine. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's more than a God of the shout, and I like to shout. He's more than a God that makes you speak in tongues, and I like to do that. He's more than a God that makes you dance, and I like to see that going on. He's more than a God that lets you worship Him. A friend, He is a God that will sit and snuggle right close to you when you don't know anything else to do and you're standing there and nobody can say anything for you. He snuggles up, puts His arms around you and says, it's alright, I'm here, what else do you need? Oh, hallelujah! I can shout tonight to realize that's what He is! Hallelujah! He's not dead in the grave, He didn't stay there. Thank God He's alive in me. <laughs> he lives in me. Thank God. And He lets me to know that whatever the case, whatever the case, He's going to be there. So whatever reason for suffering, I don't know. Whatever the answer to this haunting question, I don't have it. But this I do know. God doesn't forsake us. He remains our refuge. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's some place you can run into and be safe. He is our strength. I am sure that we who have gone through the dark nights of the soul came out on the other side and found the sunshine are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that He was there all the time. <laughs> Hallelujah! He didn't identify Himself so much. He just wanted finally to let us believe on Him for what he says. I'm a great believer in God's Word. I don't think it was written to fill up space. I don't think any of it is past and gone. I think the Old Testament, a lot of things happened back there that's already been fulfilled. Some have not, but they're examples. Things that we can look back to and draw from and draw strength from. I don't believe he wrote anything just to fill in space. I think there's an answer to every sorrowing cry in here if we look for it. Individuals that's trudging down a lonely road, there's an answer to that someplace. Individuals who look upon the, uh, the eyes of death of a loved one and don't understand it, there's an answer in there someplace. This is God's Word. He gave it to us. He said it's yours. And He said take a hold of it. I think Revelation says, Hold fast to that which thou hast, that no man take your crown. In other words, get a hold of life, friend. Get a hold of what you have, and don't let anybody take it from you. It's life. It's everlasting. It's enduring. It'll see you through. It's His Word. It's something, friend, that we ought to begin to take for granted in our lives and realize 
He's not a fair-weather God. He's just not a fair-weather God. He's not one that says, Oh boy, I glorify you, you're my son. When we're giving Him praise. When we're glorifying Him. But friend, He's our God. When we sit in the dark shadows of night and begin to question Him. And begin to wonder about Him. And begin to wonder about us. And begin to wonder about our experience. Cry the same cry that Jesus cried, God, where are you? Why has these things happened? And He's not a God that will turn around and walk away from us. Because we have confessed a negative thought. Or said some negative things. He's a God that will sit right there with you. He's a God that will get a hold of your hand and walk right there with you. He's a God that will strengthen you when you have no strength in you. Paul said, I've found that when I am weak, then I am strong. And He's a God that never gives up on us. Amen. One that looks down, so you confess negative. <laughs> He's not some great big person up there with a sledgehammer and said, Hey, look, you make a negative confession, it bangs you over the head, puts you down below that pinnacle of faith, you start to climb that ladder again. No, no, no. Uh, He's a God that knows that you're human enough that sometimes you're going to say things. And feel things. He's got His Word in there that says in the flesh He did the same thing. Alright? Suffered in like manner even as we. Felt lonely. Felt disturbed. Felt left. How would you feel? How would you feel? And I'm sure some of us have felt that way. How would you feel Whenever time He called upon that power that indwelt Him, it was there. How would you feel when you, God would just move and you could just touch some eyes, make some spittle of clay and put on there and tell Him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and they did that and they, they saw. Blind Bartimaeus called Him to us and He received His sight. The lepers, every time He spoke a word in power, challenged the false doctrines and so on. And God was always there and dwelt Him to answer. And then all at once, this God, that had always pushed and proclaimed, wasn't there in a sense for Him. At least that's the way He felt. Now, I've never laid hands on too many sick. They haven't recovered. A lot of them. But I have felt the power of God and knew the glory of God. I have been shouting glory on the mountaintops. I've bathed in the sunlight of God's glorious beauty. And then I walked in the valley. Oh God, where are you? My God, what does this mean? Eight long years of dying slowly. Prayed for by the greatest preachers in this world. Constant pain for eight years. Heart muscles giving out. All I heard when I went to the doctor is, Preacher, you're dying. You know that. There's not a chance in the world you can't live to be 50. God, where are you? Why, God? I'm a pastor of a successful church. I've got four teenagers I've got to raise and a wife. Where are you at, God? Why? What did I do? I cried those words. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? And early one morning, 
I found out all along he'd been there. Early one morning. Hallelujah. Sun was shining good. I was asleep. I woke up. I was completely healed. I never made a positive confession. I didn't climb the pinnacle of faith that they say you've got to reach. I just simply lay exhausted and said, God, I've given everything I've got. I don't understand it. I don't know where you're at. I need to rest. And I woke up the next morning after eight long years, prayed for, for the, by the best. I've been anointed with enough oil that <laughs> uh, they've slopped it on me and they've shook me until I thought my brains would rattle. And I've been almost pushed over and almost all the Pentecostal rituals that you go through. I wouldn't have done anything in the world to get my healing. But God lets you to know He does it His way. <laughs> the way He wants to do it, when He wants to do it. And all of this time, if you so desire, you can learn a lesson. He teaches you something while you walk through the valley in the shadow of death. You don't need to waste those times. So I don't know tonight if there's anyone here that has or is walking through a dark night. Questions unanswered. Things you don't understand. Doubts and fears that you unchristianize yourself because you have them. Jesus is there. And He's there for a purpose. He's there to see you through. He wants to take you by the hand. The little girl and the mother was lost in a snowstorm. The little girl, the mother says, Honey, you hold on to my hand. If you ever turn it loose, you're going to get lost. I won't be able to find you. And the little girl just held on and held on. And finally, she said, Mommy, I'm tired. I'm tired. I can't hold your hand any longer. Will you hold mine? <laughs> and the mother took a grip on that child. And I've been that way. I've held on to the hand of my master as long as there's any strength left in me. And then my grip starts to fail. But I don't want to lose contact with him. And I've said childlike faith, God... I can't hold it any longer. I can't hold your hand any longer. I've lost my strength. But would you hold mine? I feel that strong grip of the Master as He puts His hand in mine. Hallelujah. No strength from me. It's all coming from Him. Nothing on my own. It's all coming from Him. That's where God likes to get us once in a while to realize it doesn't matter how intellectual you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how much wealth you might accumulate. It doesn't matter how super spiritual you are. There comes a time when you have to depend on God and God alone. There's nothing left of you. And God likes to get us that way. That way, we trust Him. Stand with me just a moment. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. I, I don't know what to do other than come on to the altar. Come on and stand before God. If you have a need or however you feel, just come and stand before God. And give it all out to Him. Don't withhold anything. Just give it all to Him. Hallelujah tonight. If musicians want to play, it's alright with me. I don't know what you do. I'll turn the service to the brother in just a moment. But I don't know tonight. That just something makes me feel like somebody somewhere here is perhaps undergoing a trial just like that. And the devil has criticized you. And you really felt really nothing. Like your spiritual life is just completely gone. 
And you've wondered, why has God forsaken you? Well, He hasn't. He's right there with you right now. Hallelujah. If you haven't got the power of God in your life, the Holy Ghost, you can get it. You don't have to pound the altar. And you don't have to spit and slobber. (laughs) All right? You don't have to do any of these things. You have to believe Him, though. And you have to believe He wants to fill you with it. Or if you need a healing for your body. But more than anything else, right now tonight, stand before Him. And let Him whisper to you these words. I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. (laughs) See, you've never been forsaken. Not one time in your life have you ever been forsaken. Go ahead, brother, and pray.